You're listening to Great Vacations, and this is your host, John Byrne. In this podcast, I share stories of my travel adventures with you. Most of my travel adventures I have taken alone, which I think provides the best experience for those who are looking to get out there and really have fun and make the most out of their adventures with no other uh, itineraries or agendas holding you back. And so... Actually, uh, this is my second podcast. Last week we covered uh, Puerto Rico, including Old San Juan, Fajardo, and uh, Vieques. This uh, this episode I'm going to take you to Italy. I spent a week in Italy in um, October, and although I have been to Italy before, I hadn't been in, in about 10 years, so it was a very fresh experience uh, for me. Um, as a matter of fact, even though I say I love traveling alone, uh, this particular trip I did take with a group of people uh, because it was part of a, a real work experience. I was there to do some work, but it also involved a lot of play. I am a choreographer and a performer, so the reason I went to uh, to Italy was actually for dance performance. But of course, being an artist, uh, they really give you the whole experience as if you were on vacation because they they want to. Uh, our host wanted to really treat us treat us well and um, make sure we were comfortable. And in return, we just had to do a uh, you know one show, a, a cool um, dance concert in a place called Rocca de Frasiniello, which I will talk about. We took Air Europa to um, Rome, and we visited uh, Tuscany, Florence, and Rome on this itinerary. It was a seven-day trip, and we took um, Air Europa from JFK. I am based in New York, so it is quite easy to get to Europe, and I will just start by saying that I had never booked with this airline before, Air Europa, and... um, it was quite, you know, reasonable, the ticket. I think I booked in about a month in advance, and the round-trip ticket was about $730 um, round-trip. And I actually uh, was surprised. I had not flown to Europe in about 10 years, like I said. The last time was on Lufthansa. And, um, you know, that was a very bare-bones experience back then. Lots of red wine. Um, (laughs) I remember having headphones thrown at me by the flight attendant um, several times. Not the friendliest crew there on Lufthansa. But again, that was 10 years ago. I will say... Air Europa was like being in first class and not even realizing, uh, you know, you're in you're in economy class um, because it is very very comfortable and a nice clean new plane, plenty of food and although I did have a lot of wine ten years ago on my my business trips as a a young kid. Recently, I haven't had a drink in five years, so I didn't get to enjoy that part of the the flight where my ankles were to (laughs) definitely would have swollen up with salt. Uh, I will go back to booking the flight. I actually had booked five tickets on this, this trip to Italy, and I had to change one of the the tickets, change the name of somebody who was flying with me, a coworker, because I had to replace um, 
my dance partner. When I called to beg for mercy in changing the ticket, of course, they came up with no. And it's not like calling, you know, U.S. Airs or Delta or United, where you really speak with someone who is very friendly and giving you a whole bunch of um, schmoozing and buttering and basically beating around the bush. With Air Europa, I called. I said, can I please change the name? This is an emergency. And they said, absolutely not. This is not our policy, blah, blah, blah. Is there anything else? So even though they were telling me no, I was very grateful for the um, the bluntness and, and the straightforwardness with that airline. It also made me nervous because when we booked, um, their website was not functioning, so I didn't get a confirmation number. So of course I called and they gave it to me. They said, write it down and in a few days we'll email it to you. And, and that did make me nervous. But in the end, uh, they, they did take care of business and they were very professional. Going back to that phone call, when I when I called to change the name, I said, you know, I need to change the name. Well, they won't let me do that. I said, I need to buy a new ticket. And I also want to change the record locator number because the person who I had to invite on this group reservation, um, I don't want them to be able to, to call and sabotage the rest of our trips for everyone else and I don't want them having access to our reservation and this is a co-worker of mine and you know I explained uh, you know the entire situation and she said no worries no worries I will make a comment in the reservation note no one is allowed to change this reservation except Mr. Byrne etc etc I called right back to speak with another agent just to make sure that my reservation was protected. And the new agent that I spoke to, she said in a very amazing Spanish accent, Oh yes, Mr. Byrne, I have been advised that your wife will be calling to change the reservation, but she is not allowed to, and she cannot change your reservation or your children's. And... I thought that was pretty funny that they had made an assumption that I was traveling with my mistress and my children. But all in all, uh, they proved to be a great airline and run by the state of Spain, I guess. <clears throat> anyway, so we departed JFK in the evening of October, or I'm sorry, November 27th. We arrived in Spain with myself, my mother, my dance partner, my stage manager, and my stage manager's husband. So there were five of us. We arrived for a six-hour layover. My friends encouraged my idea to go out into the town of Madrid and have lunch. And I would recommend that. I think, you know, seize the opportunity because who knows when I'll have another chance to go to Spain, let alone Madrid. And because I'm a huge fan of Pedro Almodovar movies, I imagine these colorful architecture and elaborate eccentric women with colorful aprons and big hair and cigarettes and a lot of drama. And I would say... um it was totally the opposite of that, at least in Madrid. And I know um, Madrid is not Pedro Amadovar world, but 
we did um we did take the taxi to uh, I think it was a place called Plaza Mayor or Plaza Mejor. Um, this is one of the most famous uh, towns plazas right in the middle of Madrid, and it is uh, just a few blocks away from another famous plaza, Puerta del Sol. And I have to say, you know, it was beautiful. It was um, very European. We could have been in Spain. We could have been in France. Um, we could have been in the United Kingdom. And people that have been there and really know more about it might just be <laughs> thinking I'm so ignorant. But nothing stood out to me um, like some crazy cultural experience it was very um you know it was just what it was it was a you know stone plaza with beautiful buildings but it also did remind me of the museum in old san juan just the way that it was laid out although it's very large it's 129 meters by 94 meters um and there were a few little tourist things happening, um, just like you would see in Times Square. There was a guy, he was uh, dressed up as a Spanish knight and painted gold from head to toe. And I think he had a sword, so he was asking for change. The best part of the plaza was actually a little dog. It was a human in a dog costume, and it had this kind of glittery fringe. And he, or the girl that was in this costume was able to like really move like a dog and open and close the mouth and make these really cute barking noises and my mom who's a huge dog fanatic she really had a fun embarrassing the crap out of me because she went up to the dog and she was barking at the dog and ended up giving change and I don't know it was interesting but we all decided to have lunch or tapas in the little restaurant and this is where my lament about my Euro European, my Italian, Spanish vacation goes. Because, as I said, I do not drink. A big part of enjoying Europe, or any vacation for that part, is drinking. <laughs> and because I just do not allow myself and I don't drink, um, I feel like a lot of the experience uh, for me has to be made up in other ways. So... I'm also vegetarian, so eating in Plaza Mayor in the middle of Madrid with a tapas bar really gives you limited options when you're not drinking or eating meat. <laughs> However, we ended up in one of the tourist cafes, which actually became the theme of much of my trip with these uh, friends because many of the places to eat around the places you want to see are very touristic. It's hard to get out of that Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi laminated stickered table that has the you know generic bottles of wine and almost american catered food like pizza and stuff like that but anyway nevertheless the tapas bar was okay i've had better in new york um i can't even really remember what was there but i do remember olives um i think there was some type of bread with the cheese on it and you know, little moments here and there, nothing to write home about. So I won't talk anymore about the food that we had on our layover in Plaza Mayor in Madrid. But I have to say, on the way back from the uh, the whole trip, on our way back through that Madrid airport, 
I did stop and um, I got a little souvenir of a flamenco dancer and a bullfighter, even though I hate bullfighting. But I just thought it would be interesting to have that, although on our lunch break we didn't see any of that. So, um, moving on. (laughs) We did make it to Rome on that evening of the 27th. And it was raining, it was beautiful. Of course, we're outside of you know, the city of Rome at the airport. And we began our two-hour journey to where we stayed for the first three nights, Rocca de Frosignello. Now, Rocca de Frosignello is a vineyard owned by the Panere family, who is a very um, wonderfully established Italian family. They own many of the media outlets, and I was invited by the daughter of Paolo, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Paolo uh, Panera to, um, her name is Beatrice. She invited us there to perform at the vineyard for a 10th anniversary of the harvest. I performed with my dance partner in Janelle. We did a uh, duet in the Barakai, which is the underground. Well, let me start with this. This vineyard is the most modern architecture of any vineyard in the world. It's it was designed by architect Renzo Piano, who is famous worldwide for designing amazing amazing structures around the world, including the New York Times building um, on 42nd Street and 8th Avenue right here in New York City. Um, <clears throat> this vineyard is amazing. You have to Google it and look it up online. It's called Rocca de Frasinello, and it sits in the middle on top of this smooth rolling hill of these amazing vineyards on this huge piece of land in Tuscany, in Grosseto, Italy. Um, Just to talk about Renzo Piano a little bit, he is actually an Italian architect. Um, He's built structures in Rome, in Paris, Amsterdam, and as I said, New York. I think he's designing something right now in... Los Angeles, um, two museums, and so you definitely have to check him out. I'm sure you might be familiar with him. But this is an amazing little, um, it's not little, but it's a medium-sized vineyard. They create a lot of delicious, very high-label, high-quality wines here at the vineyard. And for me, the most amazing part of this building the actual plant where they process the grapes is this underground amphitheater it's amazing you walk in and it just you're intoxicated by the fumes of the wines it's set up almost like the Colosseum, as in it is a square shape that plunges down recedes down into this central flat square on the bottom of the amphitheater and around the ascending steps leading up to the entrance and the exit of the amphitheater 
are rows and rows of barrels where the wine is fermenting. At the bottom of that, as again, as I said, there's a stage or a square at the bottom of this amphitheater, which is kind of dual-purpose amphitheater slash barakai, is um, where we performed, and that's a whole other story. But all in all, I was there as a guest by the family to present uh, a dance performance that went along with the party to celebrate the 10th anniversary of their harvest. Okay, Grosseto is a is a beautiful place. It's actually um, much farmland. It's like Tuscany. Okay, you have the rolling hills with the vineyards everywhere. Vineyards you go, um, beautiful yellow grass, um, beautiful sunsets, old you know, amazing um, you know little shacks here and there, and medieval villages. And um, there is a place, uh, a town that's about 20 minutes away driving from Rocca de Frasinello. And it's a beachside medieval town. It's called Castiglione. And there you can walk around. You'll see a little marina. Um, there's old medieval churches and little pizza places and gelato places. It's very quaint, very charming, and it's fun to see the boats coming in and out, and also a, a nice little beach, a very clean beach right on um, on the seafront. There is also an, a point of interest there, uh, about 60 miles south of Castiglione, you could see in the distance the island um, of Isola del Giglio, where, um, of course, the tragic... Um, collision and, and sinking of the Costa Concordia happened. Uh, so I would definitely say um, this is an amazing place to visit um, Castiglione. There's beautiful hotels there that you could stay in and you can explore the vineyards of Grosero and Morema and um, do a lot of wine tasting events throughout. And as I was told and not experienced, but the wine there is incredible in this region. Um, the food in Tuscany is not the Olive Garden fare that you <laughs> normally imagine. The red, thick tomato paste and um, meatballs and pizza and lasagna. That is actually where you um, you would go to the south of Italy um, near that region more to experience the, the rich Italian food. Up north from Tuscany above is more the lighter fare with the, you know, the white um, sauces and the white wine and the lemon chicken. And it's just much more simple and um, less, less hearty, but still delicious. Moving on. After three days in the vineyard, um, we were kind of ready to go and try new things. We took... Um, a car right up to Florence. Florence, and I have to say, on the way to Florence, you're going to pass these amazing mountains with medieval villages on top, including Siena, which I have not been to, but was told on the way that is it is even more beautiful and decadent than the decorative and cultural experience of Florence. 
But for some reason, we had to go to Florence and see the David, which we did not see. We saw a replica of the David, which I had no idea until <laughs> someone pointed that out to me. Florence is a very cool town. It was um, it was amazing. Like it was just so beautiful. I felt like I was in a Zeffirelli film of Romeo and Juliet, and there is art everywhere. And I would say, um, okay, slow down, John. We checked into the hotel. The hotel was very charming and to my surprise hotels in europe is not like booking the 450 dollar shoe closet that you would get in times square or any other part of manhattan you can actually get a decent hotel in europe or italy i should start with for 90 dollars or 120 dollars i guess depending on the season for about 125 dollars i got a beautiful suite it wasn't modern by any stretch of the imagination, but it was an old-fashioned, very nice um, stateroom in a hotel. The hotel we stayed in was called Hotel Orto de Medici. was not particularly um, friendly staff, but, you know, it served the purpose, and the room was very romantic, although I shared it with my mom. My mother <laughs> it had, you know, beautiful little balcony where you could see the top of the Duomo, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, nice um, tile floor. The bathroom was very beautiful and antique-like. And a big bed with, you know, the gold accents and long flowing red velvet curtains and it was just very Italian and, and very um, Firenze, for Florentian. I liked it because we really felt like we were in um, in Florence as opposed to staying at maybe like a Hyatt or some other branded hotel. This really felt cool. This Hotel or, uh, hotel Orto de Medici was on Via San Gallo. Um, from my experience, everything we did there was in walking distance you know, 20, 30 minutes max. Um, so as soon as we checked into the hotel, of course, we walked around. The first thing I noticed in Florence is it is definitely a tourist town. It is, I would say, 99% tourism. Everybody else there was seemed to be students or workers, but the majority of the experience there was really fighting the crowds, which was kind of disappointing because much of my memories of <laughs> of my experience was seeing the backs of heads of large tour groups of 100. And I actually became part of one of those tour groups without even knowing that would happen. One big thing about Florence, at least in October, is you can maybe plan on seeing one or two things a day. I don't know how much there is to see there. I imagine there are many things to do, but from what is, you know, the most popular or cliche is to see the Uffizi Museum, the Duomo, and the Michelangelo's David. It takes a lot of time to wait in line for things, um, at least in October, because like I said, the city is packed. And when I say packed, I mean shoulder to shoulder in these large plazas with 
tourist groups. Many of them seem to be from China. And without making any type of uncomfortable racist innuendos, I have to say the people that I encountered, whether they be from any part of (laughs) Asia or Europe or wherever they were from, they were not particularly polite. In the museum, well, backing up a little bit, we couldn't even make tickets to see the Uffizi Museum, which I'm assuming is some big-ass museum where everyone can fit. No, it is so crowded, and they can only see so many people at a time. You actually have to kind of book ahead of time. So we got to Florence and found out that the, the, the museum was actually sold out, which actually... The cool thing about staying in any hotel in Europe is most of them, the front desk will book your excursions or whatever you want to call them. But in our case, the front desk man said that the museum was was sold out. On top of that, there are certain days that it's closed, so you might want to check ahead about that. We actually, by chance, there was this woman in the lobby that said, oh, I, I can get you tickets in to see the Uffizi today. So, okay. We're going to the Uffizi. However, she failed to mention that it was part of a group tour. So we head over to the Uffizi. We go to the ticket line and they say, oh, you're with this tour group. Okay, fine. We ended up in a group of about 40 people, um, mandatory ear pieces we had to wear. And it was, you know, I ended up becoming part of these <laughs> people that I was really um, anti, you know, I'm very, I've never been on a cruise ship, not to say that I won't, I'm very against the large group mass tours, but that's how we got in. We actually followed the tour guide around, he was very informative, very Italian, cursing at people and pushing them out of the way as they stood in front of the museum, paintings, um, (laughs) I should talk more about the art. Okay, we saw the Birth of Venus, which I would say is probably one of the most famous pieces in the museum because it's on every postcard in the gift shop. Um, it is breathtaking, actually. I I did not realize that I was so familiar with the um, with the Birth of Venus, but it was pretty amazing. Um, there was also some Caravaggios, some Michelangelos. Um, and all of the masters of Italian Renaissance. And it was just amazing, just like being up close and so personal with those pieces. Um, another thing is, there were many, many sculptures in the long gallery halls, and they were pretty fascinating. And what I actually had read on the other side coming home was that many of the sculptors who were depicting these women had actually never seen a naked woman. So they were really just making sculptures of nude men with breasts and without, you know, the male genitalia. And so that's why many of the female sculptures in Florence actually look like men. And however, it's amazing. All over the town, there were... um, there were beautiful, large, gigantic sculptures. 
I actually thought that we were going to the Uffizi to see <clears throat> Michelangelo's, Michelangelo's David, but I was informed otherwise. I have to go back and say that, of course, the artist who painted the birth of Venus is the Botticelli, is Botticelli. And there are so many, as I said, masters represented in the Uffizi Gallery. I was really there, you know, taking my time, mostly for my mother, because this was so important to her. And my friend Stacy Joe, she mentioned something. She said, last time I was in Florence and I was at this museum, I was here for four hours and I had to go back to my hotel and lie down because I had Stendhal Syndrome. I had never heard of this. But apparently, what this syndrome is, Stendhal syndrome, is the shock and nausea you can actually get from seeing so many beautiful things and at such an intense way that my friend Stacy Joe actually got sick from looking at so much beauty and being intoxicated by the beauty of the art and just a quick look on Wikipedia says the term Stendhal syndrome can be used to describe a reaction when confronted with immense beauty in the natural world or when applied to you know looking at art and I could definitely see this I could say like it was a lot it was like watching some intense movie for like just a few minutes too long and I was ready to leave um but you take these images with you for the rest of your life and you know if you really want to have them in a more tangible way you could buy so many things i have to say uh, in the gift shop and i have to say that the bathrooms were actually pretty amazing the bathrooms were downstairs in like this tomb and they hadn't really altered this basement tomb um they had just put like plexiglass around the walls and preserved it but it was pretty beautiful and interesting um <clears throat> before you were to were would to get to the Uffizi museum right outside is a life or or facsimile of Michelangelo's David so many people walking up to that is like oh that's the David and take a photo and move on um and of course I'm so ignorant I didn't realize that the actual David is in a different museum gallery which requires another ticket and another queue um called the academy and by the end of this day in florence we just did not have time and um we'll have to say that for the next trip but i would definitely i think that would have been amazing to see because apparently that's quite an amazing experience too from our hotel walking to the uffizi I have to go back again. I know I'm telling the whole trip backwards, but you walk around this corner and there's this large cathedral and it basically takes your breath away. The way I would describe it is <laughs> almost like a Russian gingerbread house. It was so decadent and just covered with ornate um, decorations. Um, and it is actually... The Florence Cathedral, the Basilica di Santa Maria del Fiore. It is the main church in Florence and it was constructed in 1446. Now, 
when you enter this cathedral, it's breathtaking. And you learn that when it was originally built, there was a huge round hole left in the ceiling of the back end. And that was because at the time they didn't have the technology to build such a large dome. Well, this is also the scariest part of my trip because the the Duomo or the Duomo is the most breathtaking and frightening thing I've ever seen because you end up getting the chance to go up inside the the Duomo the dome and exit at the top on this beautiful um little piazza on top of the uh, on top of the dome and what really makes the dome so frightening to me is that you actually as i said you can climb up these stairs and you can go to exit on the top of the dome the dome is about 170 feet above the floor and at the widest point it is 144 feet across there is an amazing mural built or painted sorry inside the interior of the dome and for me what struck out most it was the four stages of heaven and hell starting with the earth heaven purgatory and hell and it really spoke to me about how political and um propaganda driven art was during that renaissance because this fresco is more graphic than any pornography you could ever imagine the (laughs) the scenes that are depicting people falling into purgatory and then hell are so graphic i mean i'm definitely scarred for life it was pretty hard to look at and you can understand why people were really scared of um you know, doing the wrong thing or going against the the Catholic Church, because it at the time you can imagine when they were really, when the people were really looking at this in the 15th century, they had no concept of what a photograph or a movie looked like. So they would look at these paintings and really think of it as realism. Um, they would see a real story there, and you know, today it's hard hard to imagine that because we we see the primitive um, state of paintings um, because we have so much other technology to show us what's real and we don't even see movies as real but back then a painting was very graphic and um, I'm sure much more impressionable to, to the people so that was the first barrier I had to get over was looking at that fresco although it was beautiful in a way but the other one was just my fear of heights and you are actually walking up towards the top of this dome between the layer of the inside of the dome and the outer brick shell so however this was engineered um was amazing it was engineered through a contest of architects in that time. It was very competitive, and there was one person, Bruna Leschke, and probably saying that terribly, but he is the one that designed, or had the winning design to make this dome. And it really is a miracle how it was conceived, and 
so ahead of its time with the technology and that's what makes it really amazing to visit okay let's get out of florence we went our last night to rome which i had been to before the best part the most beautiful part to me of course in rome is the fontana de trevi i went there when i was 18 years old i said i will never come back here again unless i'm in love and because i was there you know with my mother and my friends and we got there late at night it was the night before my morning flight i said you know what i'm not gonna go to the fountain de trevi it's probably under construction anyway and instead i will walk around uh rome by myself and this is starting at nine o'clock at night my mother was really tired so she had gone to bed and my friends were probably sick of me so i ended up spending the evening walking around rome alone and seeing you know the vatican in the distance which i would have loved to actually visit and the sistine chapel and you know i went to the Colosseum. it was amazing and of course all of the the artifacts and the ancient remnants of ancient rome caesar's rome are uplit at night by these you know very tasteful um landscape lighting and so it's really beautiful to see see all of these monuments at night um i will it was a particularly lonely experience just walking around and i wish i had had more time and maybe a tour guide and you know a couple days but i kept saying to my mother i said you know if i had this trip to do over i definitely would have gone to rome and maybe instead of going to Florence, I would have just gone to Rome the whole time because for me, it was really about, um, I love history. I, I love art too, but you know, you've seen a couple paintings in Florence and then they all start to look t- the same. But Rome really has, you know, it has the Vatican, it has the Sistine Chapel, it has um, the Colosseum, the Fountain of Trevi, and of course, um, I'm sure it has the same amount of tourists, but it was just like really cool walking around and I really can't even go into detail. I don't want to go over with this podcast, but maybe in the next, um, I did end up in an interesting nightclub, which I will not (laughs) elaborate on because that was kind of freaky. Um, very different. Anyway, that's the end of our podcast or my podcast covering Tuscany, Florence and Rome. And we will see you next time. And maybe we'll do, I don't know, Scotland. If you have any comments or questions, go ahead and email me at john at johnburnproductions.com. That's plural. J-O-H-N at J-O-H-N-B-Y-R-N-E-P-R-O-D u-c-t-i-o-n-s dot com john at john burn productions this has been a podcast great vacations podcast on soundcloud and itunes thank you and have a great day